Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly McLear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. If you haven't been listening long, we are diving into a new series that we started last week beginning of March called The Integrated Self, and we are exploring the sacred journey of being known. Last week, I talked specifically about self-awareness and its importance in integrating our whole self, our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength as a component to spiritual formation. And the word integrate literally means to combine parts to become whole. And so this is the practice of integration is seeking to renew our wholeness as we were designed. And as I said in last week's episode, we have become a culture that since the fall of man has been very disintegrated from our wholeness that we were designed for in God's likeness. 
Therefore, this shattering of our self has produced, in many ways, a false sense of self built on self-reliance or other people's expectation or acceptance and perception of our worth and value. We have come to learn through experience what others want of us. David Benner, who I mentioned last episode, is the author of The Gift of Being Yourself, and he explains this disintegration of self using the analogy of mask. And he says, initially, the masks we adopt reflect how we want others to see us. Over time, however, they come to reflect how we want to see ourselves. By this point, we have thoroughly confused the mask and our actual experience. Our masks have become our reality, and we have become our lies. He goes on to say that the only hope for unmasking the falsity that resides at the core of our being is a radical encounter with truth. Nothing other than truth is strong enough to dispel the illusion, and only the spirit of truth can save us from the consequences of having listened to the serpent rather than God. This is my story too, and maybe you can relate. You know, from a very young age, I learned how to construct a self that was insecure at best and could only be known in part for fear of misconceptions around self-acceptance and desire. I was known as the good girl, right? And this part of my mask was worn as a way to keep people out and to keep myself safe. You know, in many ways, I think we have formulated an incomplete definition of the self and in turn have to distance ourselves from the reality of our fallenness. Yet this distance leans heavily on the disintegration of self, rather on the acceptance and renewal of self which scripture invites us into. We need not avoid or deny the reality of our neediness, struggles, and state of brokenness. But in actuality, it's the opposite. It's naming them, acknowledging them, and accepting them in the same way God accepts us. His love is what motivates this exploration of self. And it is this exploration that leads us to deeper relationship with God, our Father and Creator. Jesus' invitation to love God with our whole self is where I believe this integration of self begins. What does it mean to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? I think cognitively we can say that we love God, but knowing God personally cannot just be a belief, but must contain an embodied experience. Now, I'm not saying that we have to feel loved in order to believe it. Because we all know that in seasons, there have been times where maybe God feels silent or even distant. What scripture invites us into is this depth of knowing the personhood of God, his kindness, his gentleness, his power, his goodness, his grace. And to know these parts of him, we must interact with them in light of our own stories. So what I mean by this embodied experience is this connection between our reality, the experiences we have in this life, and how they interact with God's character. Over the next several weeks, we are going to walk through each part of self, the heart, the mind, the soul, the strength, and define and provide strategies for loving and being loved by God in an embodied way. And what we will come to find as we walk through this is that our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength are so interconnected to our whole self. We are thinking, feeling, powerful, and souled beings. 
and we can bring all of who we are to God with courage and confidence. So let's dive in. Last week, we anchored this series in Mark 12, where Jesus invites us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, Mark 12 is actually a reference from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, which in Hebrew culture was called the Prayer of Shema. And it was recited morning and evening. For thousands of years, the Jewish people would recite this prayer. And the word Shema literally means to listen, or even more specifically, to respond to what we hear. So the Shema was not just hearing the word of God, but to hear and respond to it. And so I think it's so interesting that Jesus' reiteration of this Shema prayer would have been known by those listening to him and understood as a reminder to return to the listening and responding of God's love. So today we are going to start with what it means to respond to God's love with our whole heart. The heart in our culture today often is seen as the affection center, right? We love things and this is how we express our love. Yet throughout scripture, the heart is used not only to describe our affections and desires, but also its connection to our action. Therefore, the heart is the affection center, which can be both emotional and cognitive. Our thoughts, our feelings, our pursuits, our will. Yet there is so much that gets in the way of this wholehearted pursuit of God. Isn't there? Affections are so easily drawn away from God's divine design. We have found other loves. We have devoted ourselves to chasing after what I think we believe will satisfy us. And I don't know about you, but in my own experience of these things, I have been very discouraged as a result of seeking after things that never were meant to fill me. This is what Matthew's gospel talks about when Jesus says, do not lay up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, whether thieves do not break in and steal, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way of saying this is what we long for, think about, seek after, desire, is what we treasure. Our affections directly reflect what we value most. So this is where the heart work begins, where self-exploration is essential for understanding where our treasure is and how our affections and pursuits are impacting us emotionally and spiritually. So let's just take a few moments and ask ourselves these questions. What do I value most? Think about it this way. In the last week, what have you thought about the most, dreamt about the most, desired and sought after? If we look at the time we spend doing things, right? This this action and affection, they're connected. What we value most is where we will place our time and energy. I think another way to identify these values and treasures of our heart is to ask ourselves, what do we fear losing the most? And what do we believe in obtaining will bring us the most fulfillment? These questions speak to our personality and our direction in life as a whole. Yet what I find is that whether we are disconnected from these self-reflections or we have maybe come to believe that in the exploration of them, we feel shame or we feel discouraged in our spiritual walk. There can be so much shame 
in laying out honestly the desires of our heart and the counterfeit treasures we have sought after. Much like Eve, we have sought to replace God with something other than God. And in doing so, our hearts are perpetually thirsting for more of what was never meant to satisfy us. But here's the thing, and here's what I continue to learn, that God in his kindness moves towards us despite our distance and our misdirected love. Psalm 139 is a beautiful example of this. David comes to this powerful realization that God's presence is secure. His love is not weak. He's not going anywhere. His love is not conditional on our heart's condition. Rather, it is the healing element for our heart's renewal. God has searched for us and knows us, our thoughts and our desires and our longings. He knows, and still he moves towards us. David states this in the psalm. He says, where can I go from your presence? Is it comforting to you to know that we can't run away from God. He's always with us and not in a frustrating, judgmental, condemning way, but in a loving, gracious, supportive way. David's understanding of God's closeness and consistency brings him to this beautiful prayer at the end of this passage. He says, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. He is foreshadowing this beautiful depiction of the treasure of our hearts, recognizing that we oftentimes place treasures in things that will be destroyed, that cannot last. And he is encouraged and reminded to be redirected in the way of everlasting, to lay up our treasures in heaven and in the love and consistency of God that cannot be taken from us. I'm wondering often if this is the hardest part of being known, to willingly open our hearts to God and ask his spirit to reveal to us our affections so that we may return to our eternal treasure, one which cannot be taken and one which our hearts were made for. So here are some more questions I think that can be helpful for reflection. Do you bring your heart to God? Maybe there's something that gets in the way of asking God to search us and know our heart. What I find so interesting about this passage is that at the beginning, verse one, David says, Oh Lord, you have searched my heart and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far off. Which is so interesting because at the end of this passage, then you see David say, search me, O God, and know my heart. And what I wonder is if David had come to recognize that he had to open his heart to God, knowing that God already knew him, but to reveal it to himself. And this is this beautiful integration of self-exploration in the safety of God's presence. So asking yourself, what gets in the way of inviting God into our hearts? Honestly, for me, I think oftentimes it's embarrassment or shame. But what if we knew God's heart for us was kind? What if we started to understand our affections and desires always bring us back to God and our divine nature? When we come to see our affections, any of them, 
In light of our God-given nature, shame is broken and we can experience freedom of being known and loved still. So I want to end today's episode with another practice. This is a process of bringing our whole hearts to God and to not have an undivided heart of love. We have to get to know our affections and bring them to God and see how they all point back to him and how we can redirect them to loving God first and foremost in our life. So if you have a moment to maybe come back to this episode when you have time, get a journal out or sit down and just contemplate what are your treasures? What are you valuing most in life? This can be challenging to name, but one of the things that I want you to be able to acknowledge is that all of these things have a divine connection, even if they are what we would categorize as sinful things. Maybe we're idolizing the things like marriage or friendship or success and financial security. What is it that you treasure most? What are you believing will fill you and satisfy you? These things that we seek after, we're seeking after for security and safety. So they matter. And oftentimes at the same time, they are not truly being used in the way that they were created for. These can be good things, but they can be placed in a wrong context. So just naming those things. What is it that we love? What is it that we seek for? And then I want us to pause here and recognize that whatever you've written down has a divine meaning. So when we look at our desire for success or financial security or relationships or marriage, what we are looking at is just a context for things like love, security, connection, intimacy. These are beautiful things, and yet we're looking for them in things of this earth that can never satisfy us. For instance, if we take this concept of marriage, this is a beautiful thing to value and desire. And yet, in the context of finding all of our security and our identity and our safety and love and acceptance in such a mortal thing, we can become very discouraged, right? And we see this in our lives as relationships crumble and our society struggles to understand the concept of marriage in a healthy way. In turn, I think we can, as singles, be desiring things like relationships or intimacy. Maybe it's seeking after sex as a way to connect with our bodies and another human. But what is the real meaning of those things, right? The meaning is for connection and knownness. Those are beautiful things, maybe taken out in the wrong context. So once we have our meanings, we can then move towards the divine connection and a renewal of our heart. What are we really needing and desiring in these moments? Maybe it is the love and affection of God. Maybe it is a connection with community in a safe space. Maybe we've placed our security and treasure in financial desires. And in turn, we need to surrender our hearts back to knowing that God is our sustainer and provider. God can meet these needs, my friend. And I think this is what it means to move towards God with all of our heart, to be able to recognize the ways our heart seeks and fails, 
And then to bring it back to God and say, oh, fill me. That the divine connection to our treasure is found in the meaning of what our treasure is trying to find. What are we seeking after? And the things that we love and long for are giving us something. They're meeting a need. And so we can turn those needs into how God can satisfy them. How is God coming to you and maybe the need of your loneliness? How is God coming to you in the need of your struggles, in your pain, or in your fear of not having enough? He can meet you there if you open up your heart to him. And this is where I want to end our time together as we process this exercise, identifying the loves and maybe the misplaced suggestions of our heart's desires and bringing them back to God and asking him, begging him to satisfy our hearts, to bring all of our affections under the lordship of God. In light of this practice and discussion on our heart's desires, I want us to end with the renewal of our heart from Psalm 73. It's a beautiful psalm in its entirety, but I want to start in verse 23. It says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then in verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near the Lord. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. May this be our prayer, our renewal, that there is nothing on earth that can satisfy us and that everything we desire is truly a reflection of its creator. These beautiful treasures of earth just are the reflection of what God has designed within the personhood of Christ. Our flesh and heart will fail. We will continually try and seek after things that are not God, and we have to remind ourselves to return home and remind ourselves that God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever we cannot lose so it is good it is good my friends to be near the lord and may this be our practice this week to bring our affections to him and allow him to renew our joy and hope in the love that he has given us thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of therapy and theology if you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkoyer.com. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.